So we just finished up chapter 2 last week, which really was given as an analysis of the church. And this morning as we begin chapter 3 in the book of Acts, we're going to see the church in operation. So, the book of Acts, we're not confined to some didactic teaching as we study through this book. It tells stories. It gives examples, illustrations, and it puts things before us uh, as an instruction for us as believers. So here, our view of the gospel church in action is uh, something that is living. Okay? It's alive. It's real. Um, how many of you guys have heard of a dead church? Okay, Dead church. That's a really contradiction of terms, if you think about it. There's no such thing is a dead church. Maybe it's dead something, but it can't be a dead church. The church is life. The church is power. The church is energy. So here is the church in action, a church with relevance. And what does relevance mean? What does it mean to be relevant? Well, one, to be relevant, you've got to be able to connect, right? You're connected, having something sensible or logical connection with someone else. And secondly, it's having some social significance, having some bearing or importance in the real world issues of the day, present day events, uh, the current state of society. Some cinnamons uh, that would go along would be significant or important. So are we relevant as Christians, as the church? And that's where we have to ask ourselves, is my life relevant? Am I connected? Is the church connected? Is the gospel relevant today? Well, we know the gospel definitely is, and we know our lives should be, but we have to ask ourselves that question. So let's jump into chapter 3 here. Um, before we do this, you guys, I need to ask this question. Uh, some things money can't buy. Do you agree with that? Good. You'll like this chapter. <laughs> Let's take a look here. Now, Peter and John, they went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, which would be about three, four o'clock. A certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gates of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him, with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by his right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered into the uh, temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who was, or sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now it was the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. 
So we see here in verses 1 and 2, he was lame from his mother's womb. Try to put yourself in this man's life, in his shoes. Okay, when they arrived at the temple here, uh, it was called, the gate there is called Beautiful. And this crippled man was in a process of being carried. He was placed there to beg for alms as people would come to worship, enter the temple. And if being a cripple brought him to this exact place at this perfect time, do you think he's up in heaven right now mad at God for making him a cripple? No way. No way. He's probably so thankful that he spent his whole life that way because he got to hear the truth of who Jesus was. He was touched by God. You see, to ask alms, well, picture him laying there on the pavement, okay? His hat out another day. We're told in chapter 4, verse 22, he did this for 40 years. 40 years. You guys have heard it said it's all about location, 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 right? <laughs> That's what it's all about. So those who entered the temple would particularly be disposed to their practice of of piety, of being generous in alms, okay? And that's why this lame beggar had a great spot to ask. Almsgiving was one of the main ways to show kindness, and thus it was considered a major expression of one person's devotion to God. Look at verse 3 again. It says, Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. I would have to say to you and I, never be too religiously busy. Do you guys know what I mean by that? Don't ever find yourself too busy for individuals. Okay? And they weren't, were they? Prayer was important to them. They were on a mission. We're going to pray. <laughs> but hey, they learned from their master. They understood as they walked with Jesus what was important and people were important. And prayer was important to Jesus, wasn't it? Absolutely. And that's another reason why they were going to the temple. I love Psalm 55, verse 17. It's where King David says, Evening and morning and at noon I will pray. I will cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. So prayer. It's not just over a meal a couple times a day. No, you make a point to pray. See, according to one Talmudic source, Barak, um, he was a 26B guy. Uh, he said that three prayer services were instituted after the fall of the first temple in order to replace sacrifices. That's what they would do instead, is they would pray three times a day. You gals who go to women's Bible study on Friday mornings, you just went through Daniel chapter 6, and you guys read about uh, Daniel during his time in the Babylonian exile. In chapter 6, verse 11, it says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees, how many times a day? Three times a day. And he prayed and he gave thanks before his God, as was the custom since his early days. So these three services are called the Sharakt, it's in the morning, the uh, Mincha, uh, which is afternoon. This is the one they were going to from about 3 to 4 o'clock. Uh, that was a gift offering, offering time. And then the, you have the uh, Maris, 
which is the evening prayer time. So the man laying by the beautiful gate of the temple is really, if you think about it, it's a picture of humanity. Okay? Humanity in sin. Uh, lame. Uh, this man laying here by the gate, beautiful. Okay? He couldn't enter in. He wasn't allowed to go in. Unworthy for worship under the old religion of Israel, he now finds acceptance where? In the name of Jesus. <laughs> in the name of Jesus, he could enter in. So, we're going to go through a few highlights uh, of, of this passage here. And the first thing I want you guys to see and consider with you this morning is that this man was born this way. Okay? D-O-A. Um, he had never known anything different. First great message of the Christian gospel is that everyone is born in sin. You guys know that? The gospel's good news. <laughs> you can't have good news without bad news. And the bad news is you're all sinners and you're all going to hell. <laughs> That's what we deserve. That's what we've earned ourselves. You see, we never forget as believers, as Christ followers, as Christians, our humble beginnings, where we are just one blind beggar telling another beggar <laughs> where to find bread. That's all we are. Stay humble. You see, Jesus left heaven to come to earth precisely because man and women were lost. They were paralyzed. They were helpless. Which really brings us to the second thing I want us to consider, which is this man. Who is this man? All we know, this man is paralyzed. That's all we know about this guy. He's paralyzed, verse 4. And they say to this man, Peter and John, as they're going to worship, they stop and they say, hey, look at us. Look at us. Ashamed, probably looking down, embarrassed that he was this way. Please help. You know? 40 years, same spot. Only a view of the bottom half of humanity, lost his childhood, the wonderment of youth. He missed out on the simple love of early manhood, familiar with pain, relying upon everyone else. He never expected anything higher than a little bit of almsgiving. Fallen man is paralyzed in the matter of knowing God. We just finished up Job with our men's study on Thursday mornings. And we had read in Job in chapter 11, verse 7, can you by searching find out God? That was the question. You see, man has total inability to conquer the devil, temptation, and sin. We can't do it. Is there anybody who's never sinned? Anyone? No. Can you meet temptation and then always defeat it. I know I can't. Have you ever done the same thing again, even though you knew it was wrong? Have you ever repeated that same action over and over again, even though you know it leads to misery? Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, paralysis is being in the grip of sin, which holds us down and cripples us. You guys get it? incurably crippled, begging for mercy, barred from worship. 
So the world couldn't help this man. The world couldn't help this man. I want you guys to get this. Okay? All it can give is alms. It's all the world can give. The world is full of activity. It can try to help politically, socially, educationally, even help to entertain us during our misery. It could give a little money, you know, buy food or a little bit of drink to numb the pain. It can give temporary relief, but it cannot cure this man's lameness. The world can't do it. Now, what's exciting is, is the church can help this man. The church can do something the world can't. Look at verse 5. So he gave them this, or gave his attention, expecting to receive something from them. So this man was expecting to receive something from these believers. Expecting to receive something from them, but what he was expecting was the wrong thing. The church can and does provide food, clothing, so on. But it can offer so much more. But what I do have, I give to you. That's what Peter said. I got something. Silver and gold, <laughs> don't have that much. Okay? We as the church, we don't have a lot of money. right? <laughs> but there is something that we have the world doesn't have. How many of you guys are familiar with the old story of Thomas Aquinas and uh, the Pope? They were walking together around the Vatican in the 12th century. And as they walked, the Pope pointed out the gold, silver, the ornate building, and said, You see, Thomas, the church can no longer say silver and gold, have I none? To which Thomas replied, I do see, but I see something further. She also cannot say, rise up and walk. I love that story. Because it's a great picture of where the church is at today. But really, guys, the reality of being able, in the name of Christ, to tell people, rise up and walk, really is the church's commission. But what I do have, I give to you, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. So do you go to church hoping for some temporary relief? To forget your troubles for a little while? To feel happier for a moment? Church can do that, right? But there's so much more than that. That's all you're hoping for. You're missing out. Our God's a big God. You see, the business of the church is to deal with the problems of men and women, not only to give them alms, but also to offer a cure for paralysis. This is a unique message of the church. It def it's what uh, <clears throat> sets us apart from every other institution. Because what are we for? You see, the church are experts in the souls of men. That's what the church knows. That's what it does. Because this church deals with man's central problems. They don't know how to know God. They don't know how to live. They don't know how to die. It brings us to our next point to consider this morning. The individual believer can help this man. The church can help this man, but individual believers can help this man. Look at verse 6. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. 
And he took him by his right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. I think this is interesting here. Peter doesn't stop to interview this man, did he? He didn't ask questions or prepare him emotionally for what was about to happen. He just did it. He just did it. Faith's outreached arm, okay? It reached out to an individual here. So faith in the name of Jesus releases power that lives can be changed. So as we reach out to individuals, uh, God will give us opportunities for a bigger harvest. It's like in John chapter 4, verse 8. You guys remember when Jesus came? Um, chapter 4, verse 28. Uh, Jesus came to that woman at the well. You know, what, did she, what, did, what did she end up doing when she had met with Jesus? She went back home and she told everybody. And they all came back to see Jesus. I love that. You guys are familiar with Amy Carmichael. She said this, It's the individual touch that tells. He, speaking of Jesus, doesn't love in mass, but in ones. I like that a lot. So we're to reach out, but not just to be social, to be missional. Okay, to be missional. It's a buzzword in the church right now. We don't throw it around a whole lot at freedom, because I think we get it. Because to be on mission is just doing what the Word of God says. And if we're taking this serious as we study it, <laughs> hopefully we are on mission. But missional is a helpful term to describe what happens to you and I when we replace the come and see us come <laughs> to let's go. Let's go be the church. Let's go out into all the world with the gospel. Okay, and we want to be going out and doing and serving. It's one thing I love about the uh, ministry with the Freedom Center Food Pantry. I've been doing that for over seven years now. James just asked for help. We love, we're, we're serving hundreds of people every Wednesday. Many of you guys are there on a Wednesday night. But one of the biggest things there is, hey, we're, we're meeting a physical need. There are people in need, but their biggest need is a spiritual one. And that's where we pray and we hope to speak into people's lives and to be able to share with them the name of Jesus. You see this verse here um, is really in the heart of the message when he says some things are more precious than silver and gold. Okay, You want money, but you're more important than money. You guys understand that? God cares about people. So what to give and how to give it how to be a generous giver. Those are things we should be asking ourselves as believers. What Paul tells the Ephesian church members is one of the reasons for working. He says this, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. That's in chapter 4, verse 28. But we as believers should be in a place where we are working, laboring, that we have a surplus, that we are able to give and to bless. So give as you are able. So you as a Christian always have something to give. We need to be ready. 
So let us be quick to ask, what do I have to give you? What do I have to give you? That's something that should always be on our minds. A lot of us are takers by nature. What can I get out of this person? (laughs) But we as Christians should be in a place with everybody we meet. What can I give you? And to be honest, guys, it's been for decades. But every single time I meet a a person, the first thought through my mind is, does this person know Jesus? And if not, how can I share him with him? (laughs) That's the first thing that's going on in my head. And even if I've grown in a relationship with somebody and I've known them for weeks, months, years, and they still haven't come to know Jesus, that's always the first thing that comes to my mind when the phone rings and I see their name there. Oh, do I get to talk about Jesus? Hopefully. (laughs) You're always in that place. So Christians, we have light. What do we give to people? We have the truth. We have light. We are salt, right? Kindness, goodness, prayer, a tender touch, compassion, a little time. There's so much that we have as believers to give to others. So let's be generous givers. And we give. In whose name do we give? In the name of Jesus. It's not look what I have done, what I give. No, we give in the name of Jesus, okay, not yours. So to ask in his name means to ask or to act in his authority. The purpose, so he alone gets the glory. He alone gets the glory. That's what it's about. Does God still allow people to rise up and to walk? Do miracles happen? Are there healings? Absolutely. Okay? I've seen healings firsthand. Do we talk about it? Not really. Why? Because we talk about Jesus. Okay? It's about him. And God's going to do things. He's promised as those go out on a mission (laughs) of the gospel that things will follow. There will be signs and wonders that take place. And that should just be a natural part of our lives, guys. Things should be happening. But ultimately, who do we want to get the glory? Jesus. It's always to him. So, um, I'm going to pause for a minute on that. Why don't we see more miracles happen today? Because I think the church are glory hogs. You know? If we let everybody know, hey, these things are happening, this healing took place, or this miracle took place, it would become about that church. This is happening here, this person, that person. You know? That's when it gets scary. When anybody tells me to check out this guy, his ministry, because of these things, if it's not about Jesus, I don't want to, you know? Who's getting the glory? It's all about him. Look how spiritual he is. What do Peter and John say here? In the name of Jesus, it's all about him. It's all about him. So the purpose, guys, is that he gets the glory. Also, I think it's important to be natural. See, by the way, I believe God has given us this appointment today. Okay, as we open scriptures, we find ourselves in Acts chapter 3 this morning. God, once again, simply wants to let us know that he is there. He loves us. He loves all people. And he cares about us. 
He cares. And I think that's the biggest thing that we can give to others is telling them that truth. Do you know Jesus? Do you know about him? Do you know how much he loves you? Sometimes we think it's so hard to share the gospel with somebody. It's pretty simple, guys. Memorize John 3.16. <laughs> Just tell people that God so loved the world. Let people know. Okay? He gives only son Jesus. And I love it because it's all about Jesus. In the name of Jesus. You guys understand how important that is? And we're going to see a lot of that because in chapters 3 and 4 here, it emphasizes the name of Jesus a lot. A lot. You guys can jot down a few references I'm going to throw out real quick, but just go through the next couple chapters. Check out where Jesus is spoken of and how he is emphasized, lifted up. Chapter 3, verse 6, 13, 16, 20, 26. And then in chapter 4, verse 2, 7, 10, 12, 17, and 18. A lot of stuff in two chapters. All about the name of Jesus. So cool. So we're told here he took him by his right hand. So God desires to work through us. Do you guys understand that? He desires to work through us. Some of us pray. And we pray, God, if you want to do something, just intervene, crash in, just do it. Man, when I pray, a lot of times it's just like, yeah, I want to do that. And son, I want to do that through you. Oh, come on. <laughs> but that's how he does things. And if there's things on your heart to pray for, it's probably because he's asking you to be a part of it, to do something about it, okay? So engage, be a part of it. Um, question. How does he do that? How does he do that? Work through us in the name of Jesus Christ. That's how he does it. So Christ, yes, the Messiah, the promised deliverer, God in the flesh, proved by the resurrection, proved by the descent of the Holy Spirit, that is Jesus Christ. And that is the name we are proclaiming. So he is the one, and all is found in him. It's him. He's the answer. He's the all in all. Sometimes as Christians, we have that compassion, we have that love. But that's all we do, is show compassion and love. We never speak the name of Jesus, and that's the thing people need the most. They need to hear the truth. They need to hear the gospel. So he is the one, and all is found in him. So Peter really acted as a channel between man's helplessness and divine power. That's all Peter was doing here. So question for you and I this morning. Have you been the link between Christ and a person in need, like Peter was that day? Have you done that? Be the link, guys. You guys know that priest means bridge? Okay? We are a priesthood unto our God. We are called to be a bridge for people to be that connection. Moving on. Another thing that we see here is this man found help immediately. I love it. Verse 7. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankles received strength. You see, the gospel doesn't tell you to start doing this and then st and that. Stop doing this, come to church, and gradually you become a Christian. Okay? Does the Bible tell us that? People think that, though. Doing jail ministry the last six years, I've heard that from a lot of people. You know, 
well, I'm going to have to get myself straight before I start coming to Bible studies or going to church. I've got to get my act together, and then I might get there. That same mentality is not just when people are incarcerated, but those on the outside also. I don't know how many people have come to church here trying to get right, trying to work their way to a place where they finally can come to a saving place with God. You see, the gospel, it doesn't start that way. The gospel is immediate, isn't it? Okay. Without delay. Second a person believes, they're saved. It's a picture of justification by faith alone. Okay, justification, just as you never sinned, second a person believes in their heart, they're saved. So the invitation is all of grace. It is a gift of God. Jesus did it all. <laughs> Are you going to receive? Are you going to believe? <laughs> all right, the last thing I see here this morning, which is the exciting part, is the man walked. He leaped, he praised God. Look at verse 8. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that he was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now as the lame man who was healed held onto Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So note here, guys, how far this miracle extends. You know, he didn't even have to teach himself to walk. This is so cool. He's never walked before. I picture a lot of times when a, a horse gives birth. You guys ever see that? The horse comes out and it's trying to get up. It's walking. It's, all, it's just fun to watch. YouTube it. Um, <laughs> they're just trying to keep balance. They can't do it. Okay, But this guy, he's what? He's leaping immediately. This is so cool. So when God touches your life, it isn't a temporary leaf. It is a cure. You understand that? It is a cure. It's a cure from guilt, your past, your sins, helplessness, it's absolute forgiveness. But he doesn't stop there, does he? See, we need life. And he gives us life indeed. Life more abundantly. Isn't that what Jesus said? I came to give life and life abundantly. It's a new birth. It's a new life. It's a new start. It's a new beginning. It's new strength. It's new power. It's new might. Paralysis is gone. It's walking it's leaping. It's praising God. I love when people first get saved. It's fun to watch them in worship. There's a sweetness and intimacy. There's an excitement. They're out telling everybody else. They're leaping with joy. They're praising God. I think sometimes we've got to return to our first love. It's pretty simple. What has God done? And don't go back. God set us free, guys. He's given us life. Live in it. Live in who you are in Christ. So, this wraps up for us this morning, which really is going to set up, set up Peter. 
for another awesome sermon next week that we're going to look at. Like, I love it. And that's what God does so many times. Okay, when he does something, it gives opportunity to what? To preach Jesus. That's why we do a food pantry. There's other food pantries in the area. Why do we do it? Because we want to share Jesus with people. It's not, didn't Jesus do it that way? Hey, let me do a miracle. Where did all this food come from to feed 5,000 people? That's how I feel with the food pantry. You know, what God's done, where does this all come from? <laughs> He's been doing miracles. We don't have to sweat it. He's going to keep providing. But why? Because it's a platform to share Jesus with people. And we should look for those same opportunities in our lives, guys. As God does things, here's an opportunity to share. To share. Sonny and I, we, uh, we got to minister to a couple, uh, couple months back, and there were some very specific things in their life that was going on, and just things that they knew God could do, but didn't know if God could do it or not. You know, and I, I missed it because we had shared with them some of the things that we're going through personally as a family and some steps of faith that we were making and things that were changing. And we've seen God provide. He's faithful. He's there. He has promises you cling to. And literally, two hours after meeting with this person, there was a huge thing that happened in our lives. And it's just like, whoa, this is only, we were just talking about this. And God just did, like, like that, you know? And we're so excited, and I missed it because Sonny's like, oh, we should call him and tell him right now, oh, we're going to meet with him again. But we didn't have an opportunity to meet with him again. Because it was one of those things, hey, look what God has done. And I think sometimes, guys, we need to put God on display. We need to let people see that God is faithful. He is promised to, <laughs> he holds to his promises. All his promises in Christ are yes and amen. And to share that with people. Because that will give us a platform to share with them the good news. So I encourage you guys to do that. So, <clears throat> next week, Peter's sermon. Uh, if you look at verse 11, I love it because, and all the people ran together to them in the porch. <laughs> so there are people there instantly. Tons of people. So this morning, guys, i got to ask the question, are you paralyzed? Are you helpless? In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Let's rise up. We'll pray and then I'll read our benediction. Father, it is a blessing just to get a peek into the early church and as we got to see here in chapter 3 just the church at work and operation. And you did it just through two brothers who were just simply going to church to worship. And you opened up a door of opportunity, someone in need. Would you open our eyes that we wouldn't just walk by those who are in need, that we would share with them who you are, 
that we boldly speak the name of Jesus, Father, to this world that so desperately needs to hear. There's a whole world of people who are lame and they don't even know it. God, please, by your Spirit, open eyes. Help people to see their great need of you. We pray in your name. Amen? Amen. Amen. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Amen? Amen. Amen.